Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. Hey, Small Group Network, welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We're so glad that you chose time to hang out with us. I'm Nick Lindsay, and it's an honor to be your host. If you're with us for the first time, welcome. We're so excited that you've joined us. Here's how Reading Lens works. Each month I have with us a guest who's also a Small Group's point person to share with you insights from books we are reading, what our takeaways were, and how we plan to incorporate them into our lives, leadership, or our small groups. Well, this month I have a rewind episode, which means we're gonna go back to an episode from our archives. I know many of you have been jumping on this journey along the way, so you may have missed this one, but today I have with us Tommy Carreras, who is a guy I just love to have conversations with. This was the first time I had him on this podcast. You may have heard him the other time when we had him do the 2021 hit book, The Other Half of the Church. Personally, that one's a huge favorite of mine and one of the best episodes that we've done. So if you enjoyed this one, I encourage you to go check out that one next. And one last thing, be sure to listen all the way to the end as I have a major announcement regarding this podcast that you don't want to miss. Okay, on to our thoughts on Tribe with Tommy Carreras. So one of the things with Reading Lens is that I love finding the great guests and I let them choose the book. So Tommy, why don't you walk us through what book you chose for us today? Yeah, this was uh, literally an Amazon recommendation. So thanks, big brother. But uh, <laughs> this, this book is called Tribe. Um, and it's by a guy who wartime journalist, anthropologist. And right off the bat, that's like, that's exciting because you're different yes. than me. <laughs> you're very different. Uh, it's not a Christian book. But what, I, what I've loved about it um, was that it seemed like he was one of those guys. This was just right off the bat, literally from reading the you know the back cover. Uh, it seemed like he was one of those guys that looked and observed so well at this world that God has made that he was uncovering the truth of how God made the world just by looking carefully enough. And I think that's so helpful because it, it takes from a different angle the things that we sometimes take for granted to be true, or we say like, well, the Bible yeah. said it's true. And so it's true about how we're wired, how we're made. And and, and I love this guy because he's like, well, it's just true because have you looked at the world? Of course it's this way. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I, it just seemed so interesting. And one, and, and you mentioned this, Nick, before we were talking even, we were going to do a different book. We we're, we're going to do Talking yeah. to Strangers, which I, I highly By recommend. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, it's a great yeah. book. Really interesting. But if you've ever read one of his books, he just, he takes you on a weird journey. He's like, well, here are 12 ideas. <laughs> that aren't related, but on the last page, I'll show you how related they are. And I think that's just really fun. And this one is the same way. It's four chapters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he basically, to write the book, was like, there, there are four things that I don't understand. I think there might be a common thread. And he wrote a book yeah. about it. And it's and there very clearly is a common thread. It's amazing. Uh, and, and so that's why I picked it. Yeah. What's funny is one thing you what you didn't mention is that the subtitle for this book is on homecoming and belonging. When you told me, hey, let's read this book, Tribe, I looked it up on Amazon. And I, I'll be honest, like just hearing Tribe, I was like, all right, what, what's, what's this going to be on? But then I saw the homecoming and belonging and I was like, Oh, that sounds phenomenal. Our vision statement kind of thing, or not the vision mm -hmm. statement, what's like the uh, kind of like what our people do, our group leaders, yeah, is yeah, yeah, they yeah. help people belong. So that's yeah. that's what we use here at Hope and Grace is help people right. belong. And so when I saw that, I was like, all right, I'm in. And yes. uh, I'm saying something important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I get the book 
And you know, I, I want to share this for those who've been who've been loyally following along on Reading Lens, so so that you, you know my experience here. So I open the book, and the first thing is on uh, Native Americans, and it's written by this war journalist. And I just had like this laugh because two episodes ago, I had Steve Kern, and we did a military book called Extreme Ownership, which mm-hmm. is, I know one of the best leadership books I've I've ever read. And then on the last episode, I had it on Kristen Telzero, and we read a book called Canoeing the Mountain, which is a leadership book about Lewis and Clark. And so it naturally features a lot of Native Americans. So you have to imagine myself <laughs> opening this up and it's just like, here's the last two podcasts combined. People are going to think that this is like a war in Native Americans like, this uh, the kind of, of podcast. Or something. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. So. Uh, no, I, I think that's so true. The homecoming and belonging thing, uh, it, it was perfect because that's yeah. literally what we're trying to do. And and somebody that's that much smarter than me, I'm like, I need to know what you're observing about this. Because also, if you're, you're not a Christian, this is not obvious to you that like we, we can tell, right? At least the scripture says this is how you're built and you need this desperately. Yeah. But he doesn't have that. And so I'm like, if you figured no. it out, you're going to have some really good information that I need. And I, yeah. I love that. Well, I also think that we have a big bias in here as well because we're community guys. And so right. yeah, yeah, yeah. his answer to a lot of this is we need communities dying. We need to bring it back. Mm-hmm. I don't even know that the rest of the people we work with in our staffs necessarily that's, understand uh, that. That's a scary point that I don't yeah. know if you should bring up. <laughs> you need to. No, that's so true. Because I think yeah. that's it's something we either take for granted or we just like kind of suffer in silence a lot of times, which is why it's good for yeah. us types to get together to go, is anybody else like experiencing this thing where you're the only one that's maybe uh, flying this yeah. flag <laughs> of yeah. we need deeper, commune, richer community? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you're not the only one, man. <laughs> yeah. Really cool. helpful. Yeah. So. You know, one of the things you shared is that uh, it's it's only four chapters. It, this is a great tight book. Um, it's also really good. I, so I do both. I read and listen to the audiobook at the same time, just so I really get it. Do it mostly so that like I can get the most for this podcast and really retain as much as possible. But so it's four chapters around a theme. Could you share with the audience like what that theme is or what the thesis to this book is? Yeah, well, it's a good title because the theme is tribe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and what I love about it is is it is that simple. And the, the interesting thing. So one of the ways that I was preparing for this conversation also was. I listened to uh, Sebastian Younger talk to Joe Rogan on his podcast. Mm. And it was right after he wrote the book and all this. And it was interesting because the first question Joe Rogan asked was like, okay, so tribe, uh, were you worried that everybody would throw it out as some political, like bad, scary tribes or bad? We don't want to tribalize. We want to be unified. And he was like, whoa, 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 yeah, this is not what that is. Like we were built Mm -hmm. for tribes. And that's the idea. Um, And he doesn't say it in these words specifically. So I'll just add the intention of God into what he says. But we were designed to function together and be necessary parts of something that he said in that podcast even was community with consequences. Ooh. This part where I, I know, right? He said it and yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm going to take that. Uh, but that's the whole idea. Like if I'm not a necessary part of a tight-knit community with a purpose, I will die. And that's mm-hmm. his whole idea even is like how we got to here is by being those necessary parts of small communities that were literally fighting for survival. The rest of human yeah. history besides like the last five minutes has been fighting against the world that's trying to kill us. And the only way to do that, the only way to survive is together. And his anthropological thing is looking at the world now and going, why are suicide rates going up? Yeah. Why are PTSD rates going up? up, even though 
fewer soldiers are in combat, mm-hmm. why are PTSD rates going up and lasting longer? Um, why did uh, this is one of the things I love? One of the big questions he's asking, one of the chapters, like why did all of the English colonists in America, not all of them, but why did so many yeah. of them run to the tribes, the American Indian tribes, and not come mm-hmm. back and get captured by the brutal, like very brutal existence of these tribes? Why did they? stay when given the opportunity to come back yeah uh that's a good question <laughs> without a clear answer and so he just he doesn't even have a thesis like this is what you need to do yeah he's really just saying this is something you need to know and it yeah. there, there's something afoot <laughs> there's there's a problem yeah. happening yeah in, in my opinion too like his his thesis is all around that what we don't see is that community is a resource that's dying yeah. it's a, it, we don't necessarily see it so i mean it's it's in a sense it's like the carbon monoxide you know you don't you don't see it but it, it can kill you mm-hmm. right Right. Um, and so I think that's that's a big part of you know his inf- inspiration for this book is uh, we we shared he's a wartime journalist he was with a military group in East Afghanistan and uh-huh. in Eifgas, Eifga, East Afghanistan they you know conditions aren't great there's no TV there's no there's no women so these guys are alone out there just. Uh, as this this crew and they got deployed back to Italy and they he was talking with the guys and all of them wanted to go back to this deserted area in East Afghanistan as opposed yeah. to returning home and it just seemed so countercultural like you know he gets into like the, what he ends up discovering is that like there's this this sense of common purpose and and just having having a purpose for life mm-hmm. meant so much to these guys that when they came home, it's just really challenging for them to come back into this modern society because modern society has allowed things to be safe and has allowed things to be individualized. And right. uh, part of his argument in this is that some of this stuff, some of the stuff is is hurting us in the long yeah. run. And oh. it wasn't even too. What I thought was so interesting about it is it wasn't the big grand purpose of like mm-hmm. I'm fighting terrorism. Yeah. No, it's not that. It's like if I don't perform today. If I don't behave correctly, and that's interesting, he has a lot of stuff about like being judged by your behavior in a good way. Like we want to be judged yeah. by our good behavior, and I, that's challenging for people of, of grace. <laughs> it's like we got to cope with that a little bit. What does that mean exactly? What are you trying to say? But he's saying like if I don't show up, if I don't perform, if I'm not a necessary part of my unit, my small unit of people I love and will die for. Yeah. Right? If I don't do that, then Jeff dies, <laughs> and yeah. those consequences are a lot different than like, if I don't perform today, terrorism takes a small step forward on the grand yeah. scheme of the universe. That's not actually, cause I can still, I can, the, the question is like, if, if that's the big goal, if that's the consequence, if that's the meaning and purpose, cause we talk about purpose a lot as Christians, we're like, you need a oh, meaning, yeah. you need purpose, you have a mission, but the mission is always so big. It's so grand. Save all the people. Cool. So yeah. I'm going to watch Netflix tonight. Cause I don't know what to <laughs> do about that. Yeah, and the, it's so big. And the thing is, it's like, well, if if you were just fighting terrorism as a soldier, then you should yeah. be able to come home and fight terrorism in a new way, or solve poverty, or do something grand. But the point is, it's it's too big. And we were maybe this world has gotten too big for our little human souls and minds because I need to know that if I don't show up, so and so is not going to make it. And, and maybe mm-hmm. that's a little drastic, but, yeah. but there's something about the closeness of the 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 consequences that really makes a difference. And that's what stood out to me the most about all of the soldier stuff. It's like it has to be my immediate community 
where those consequences live. Uh, yeah. And that's fascinating. Yeah. It's funny. You said you mentioned to that, that other podcast to, to hear him talk some more. I listened to two. I listened to the one on Joe Rogan. There's another really good one on YouTube that's uh, uh, Google Talks or Toxic Google, I, I think is what they're called. That one this morning. Which yeah. Is funny. <laughs> and um, one of the things he was talking in there too, that I don't remember being captured in the book, but he was talking about how, you know, we were designed to really only be in community with about 30 other people, like small oh, kind of village. Uh-huh. And that eerily lined up with another book I finished earlier this year called uh, Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge. And oh. he has that same concept, which is, which is that he thinks that's the reason why we can't handle social media because our souls are only meant to handle the size of a village. And so when we have these thousands of friends, we're actually introducing trauma and all these other things that we weren't exposed to experience. So an example right. of this is, you know, the, the Beirut explosion that happened, you know, halfway across the world. Like we found out within seconds and we're seeing right. these really graphic images right away. Uh-huh. <laughs> like if you think like rewind even 50 years ago, how long that would have taken for us to learn that news. Right. And experience that. So it's interesting how those kind of ideas align as well of just like our souls weren't intentioned to be, to have this many people have influence into it. Right. Well, and the interesting thing about that too, you think about some of the reasons he talks about the American Indian tribes, what was so compelling to the, the English colonists. And some of the things that were so compelling was that, first of all, they actually worked less. Uh, they, you know, most American Indian tribes, hunter-gatherer tribes were like you know, four hours of survival work and it's yeah. tough work, but you just didn't work as much. Um, but because of the nature of the tribe, because of the size and because it wasn't like, if you don't listen or follow the rules, you go to jail, right? It wasn't that. It was like, if you don't like it, just leave. Go get a new one. And that was okay. So that was, it was a looser border kind of, but then also it was what that caused because they were hunter-gatherers and nomadic. It was, uh, it was more egalitarian, right? There was, it was impossible to just pass down wealth. Um, it was mm-hmm. whatever I have now. And so there, yeah. were, there was much lower wealth inequality. And then also everything was like the unit was the most important thing. And I think that can go too far, right? We can't be totally collectivist. Yes. And we can't be totally individualist. There's a beautiful balance, but we've, we we're, we're probably a little too far on the, But it's interesting because this idea, like the wealth inequality is lower and it was almost impossible to abuse power. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, But those things, like if you look at social media and just the nature of the world, I know that Jeff Bezos has more money than I can actually even grasp. (laughs) I shouldn't know that because if I look at my neighbors, one house next to me, they rent and they probably have a little bit less than me. The other house, and we're in SoCal and everybody's broke. You're in Jersey. Everybody's actually kind of <laughs> broke. Yeah. But it's like the guy next to me is a little bit broker than me. And the house next to me on the other side, definitely like well, the random nicest house on the block. It's so, uh, but I can deal with that level of inequality really easily. Yeah. Because it's like we could pass it around if we need to. And my friends, I can deal with our levels of inequality. But with social media, I know all the celebrities whose net worth yeah. is $100 million. And that's hard to deal with. It's confusing. Because I'm not meant to deal with that many other people's lives. And so that size, that like unit of 30, 50, 70, 100, there's another book called uh, Discipleship That Fits. And Mm. uh, one of the interesting things about that is- Who's the author? It's uh, Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom. Cool. Um, And it's- We will make sure to put these in the the notes for you guys too. Totally. The five kinds of relationships God uses to help us grow. And it's interesting because it's not types of relationships. It's really sizes of mm. relationships. 
And the whole idea is there that if we don't have all five pumping in our church, we're missing something. And it's really hard to get them all pumped. It's like the divine relationship, me and God. Of course, we know that one, right? Transparent relationships, which is often what we're hoping for in, in a lot of cases as groups people, our deepest relationships, two or three other people where we share all the intimate details. Personal relationships, people gathered in small groups, probably they, mm. they describe that as like four or five up to about 12 to 16. But then after that, you're like, oh, well, then it's too big, right? It's not real community. And we skip right to the the crowd, the church gathering. Yeah. And it's like, we need that. We need the bigness. We need, that's what we learned in COVID, right? Like, man, yeah. I, need, I need to see a bunch of other people that are as crazy as me or as broken as me or as worshipful as me. I need to see all that. The one we miss mm-hmm. is the social context, which is this like 20 to 70 with a common mission, common purpose, and common unifier. And that's yeah. what this whole book hits at. Yeah. I don't have to have everybody know me completely, but I do need to know that it's that like why most churches in America are like, how many? 75 people. It's because it's yeah. a sweet spot. And I'm not yeah. saying that all of our churches should just divide <laughs> into 75 persons. I don't mean that. Yeah. But we need to, I, I've been grappling with like, how do I create those feelings? Is it all the people in groups? Is it multiple yeah. groups? Yeah, I, I, right. I don't know exactly methodologically, but there's something about that size that matters a lot. We just, we just gave you guys so much from, from this book. And what's interesting about this book is like, I, I've been talking to other staff members about it because I, I just really liked some of the concepts and I'm so glad I finally have someone to talk to about it. That's always <laughs> the hardest thing I have about books and being an extrovert is like, as soon as I get done, I'm like, who else wants to talk about this book? You know, and then there's, there's sometimes no one. Tommy, how, how has this book influenced your ministry? How does this help you think about it? Interestingly enough, one of the things that's been really helping uh, is that I've just, I can't not talk about it, Mm -hmm. the concepts, uh, because they're so interesting. And and I think that's actually an an interesting place to start. When we care enough about learning why the problem is bigger than we thought, we can actually then have some of the confidence and the competency to speak out against things that are ruining the human experience, speaking out against the things that are clearly hurting us. And that is something that God does. And that we want to do. And so I want to champion that. And this book has really helped me go like, I need to question things in a deeper way because that'll also help me speak more to the the heart, the broken heart of the person in the seat, right? That I'm trying to reach and go, I, I don't want to f- do the, the flowery promo. Don't you want some nice friends? Don't you want to grow? Don't you want to like, first of all, what does any of that mean? How about what if we sometimes just shoot it like, have you ever noticed that we have a deep isolation problem and something's wrong and you know it's wrong? We're trying to combat that on every level. That's like, yeah. that's interesting. That even gives us a little bit of a common enemy. We're trying to, we're not trying to like have some nice friends. Like you have some nice friends. None of them are good enough though. And you know that. But what we really mm-hmm. want to do is learn how to be human again. And what does that mean? That means actually being known by people in a deep way Yeah. who, who will die in the trenches with you. And who yeah. will actually go and combat loneliness together? We're trying to destroy isolation inside uh, uh, of our midst. Like we're 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 trying to unite against those things. And so, so this gives me this book gives me some of the excitement and also the little bit of the expertise, honestly, to speak yeah. out against those things. That's the first way it's been influencing me. I, th- I think too. It also really just highlights, you know, nothing that Rick Warren didn't teach us. 25, 30 years ago in that like we all need purpose in life. And obviously we have the advantage of knowing that that purpose, right? But just really helping understand that like everyone needs a role. Everyone needs to have a purpose. Yeah. They, they need to know that they are able to contribute to a community. And I think that's one of the, the biggest advantages that we have as 
you know, small group people in our churches is giving them this outlet that they actually need in life to help them psychologically and, right. and, and mentally and, and everything else that, that comes with it. So. Yeah. I, and this is, that's a good rabbit trail to go down. Cause I remember we talked, <laughs> was it this last lobby or was it the last one? It was one of the lobbies ago. Um, but we started talking about something that was, that was really on my mind a lot and that I was trying to move kind of my whole ministry toward. I was like, I don't, I don't like the goal of my group's ministry. That's a, this is a scary place to start. Like I'm not, in, I'm not jazzed about trying to find people better friends. Mm. And I know that's like, why do you have this guy? Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound healthy, but I, I just wasn't excited about it. Cause I also, I saw that like groups weren't staying together. People were just in and out and maybe, and I don't know. And leaders were yeah. just dying being consumers because, yeah because it just mm-hmm. it, nothing like nobody was getting what i thought they could get out of it and i realized this is the scary question that i asked myself or the, the the statement the system that you created is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting yeah. and even more so the results you're getting they came from the system that you made and so i went yeah well shut up. That, okay, <laughs> fine. I'll look at me then. So what did I do? Like, what am I doing to make this happen? And I realized I, I wasn't aiming high enough and that my goal was too low. I don't want to find people better friends. My real goal started to become to make people better friends. All the people, not just the leader. Yeah. And that sent me on a weird long journey um, <laughs> where I'm I, like, I mean, I went a little too far in some places and now I'm changing some things back. It's really interesting. Um, but it was the right question to be asking. So I started trying to train group members instead of just train group leaders. Um, yes. I started. This is the concept we talked about this year. Yeah. How, how do we train our group members to be good group members? And that concept alone set me on my own rabbit trail. It was mm-hmm. just like, genius. that was the thing from this. Every, I think every, lobby or, or small group network uh, event thing always leaves me going home with one one big idea in this past mm-hmm. year was you just challenging on us on you know how do you train group members we we train coaches to be coaches we train leaders to be leaders but we don't train group members to be group members right. and, and the whole the year the most help <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, my my associate yeah. sarah and i literally just tackled that and the way that we did it in ours is that every every group starts with a, a 10 week group with us Right, and right. we used to have this video that was done by our lead pastor. It was 40 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it was like, why, how we do groups. Right. And nobody watched, like I'm no shocked. one. <laughs> Which, but we took that video and we broke it up. Yeah. And we added into it elements that taught people, this is how our groups work. This is how it's different. This is how it's not a traditional Bible study because yeah. you need this fellowship. You need the act. Like for us, it's all about the... Um, taking steps and and activating your faith and um our groups have just really solidified and we've gotten better group members so tommy i thank you for the for bringing this that idea and stuff like that but thank you for going on the journey with me because it's been stressful because it's (laughs) it's a lot weirder and it 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 means i'm never actually hitting my goal because it's a lot higher goal but it's interesting too because the the main thing and and just to put a little more oomph behind that too because i i'm like I'm so obsessed with that idea still. Um, a little more oomph even is like, because if if I only help them follow Jesus right now, yeah. I've missed the mark completely. Because getting them good friends now is going to yeah. help them follow Jesus now. Teaching them how to be good friends helps them follow Jesus for the rest of their lives and yeah. helps the next guy follow Jesus because what's values are more caught than taught and they're going to spread that around somewhere else. Mm-hmm. They're going to change the so, world if they're better friends. That's a sneaky advantage that we have here in Hoboken. So we're across the, we're across the river from Manhattan. 
And so we have extremely transient community. So we get people for about two to three years before they move on. And a couple of years ago, it hit us like, okay, how do we send these people out better than we found them? How do we send them to the next church? And that attitude has helped us so much. And I love that like you're kind of picking up on that too of like, I can't just teach them how to be great here and now. Uh I need to teach Uh them so that they can be, they can can go out and help these, their, their community at large. So... So true. Hey, let's let's bring up this other thing from this book. He taught me a new word. This is gonna be funny. I don't know whether <laughs> people know this word or not, but um, modernity is a word that I didn't realize. Mm. Uh, I always thought it was modernity, but it's modernity, <laughs> which is like the concept of becoming more modern and, and things like that. And the only time, so Tommy talked about this earlier of how as societies become safer, as mm. they become more affluent suicide rates and depression come up with it. And one of the only, one of the rare things that goes against this that's countercultural is when extreme circumstances come about, whether it's through war, whether it's through, um, he used 9-11 to talk about rates in in, um, America. Mm -hmm. Um, And the also, I think it was Bosnia was the other one he talked about or Sarajevo. Seriously, um, yeah, civil war in, in yeah. Bosnia. Yeah, and he talked about like these people afterwards wanted to go back to that time where there was the extreme circumstances yep. because they felt more community, they felt more needed. Meanwhile, they're being bombed, they're being taken out of their homes, they're being, you know, or natural yeah. disaster hits them, those kind of things. So the Blitz in London was another example. Yeah. 30,000 people dead on their own streets in London. Yeah. And people longed for those times. It's like that feels wrong. Yeah. Have you guys ever experienced that in your own community? Uh, well, so three three years ago now, um, we had at the time, it was like quickly overtaken in size, which is interesting. But uh, at the time, the largest uh, wildfire in California history yeah. um, by acreage started in, in Santa Paula, which is about 15 minutes, uh, 15 minutes away from Ventura. And I remember going to sleep at 1030 that night um, and hearing that there was a small brush fire that started in Santa Paula. I was like, oh, I'm going to make sure to check in on that tomorrow. Uh, and then it turned out a lot of things happened overnight. I fell asleep like literally 10 minutes before uh, yeah. the executive pastor texts everybody and says, by the way, we're opening up as a shelter. I'll be there all night, blah, 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 this whole thing. I wake up at 530 uh, randomly um, and I look at my phone and my city's on, well, no, the city next to me. I live in Oxnard, which is right below Ventura, but Ventura is on fire. And Mm. I wake up and my city's on fire and I'm like, uh, I call Jim. He's like, yep, been here all night. got people sleeping in the building and I look outside and uh, beautiful thing about SoCal is it's really common that, you know, I can like smell the beach from where I live, but then also see the mountains. This is awesome. Except when the mountains are orange. Um, you wake up at 5.30 in the morning, the mountains are orange, and it's like, this is really bad. Yeah. Uh, thousand homes were destroyed. Friends of mine lost their homes, lost everything they had, all of this. Yeah. Right? So just like intense trauma. Only only two people died. is is amazing. But a thousand homes, it was a full week. Yeah. So, for a so full much week, property gone. We, I, I like, literally, I wake my wife up um, and I'm like, I uh, gotta go. I'm going to work, and she's like, "What's happening?" Well, the city's on fire, so I'll see you in a week, I guess. Like, I just didn't know, and so I pick up water. We we get to the building. We end up every day, every minute. We're changing the plan. We're um by the end of the week, we had been a shelter, a distribution center. We had our mm-hmm. whole building full of stuff three times over because stuff would leave. We had a thousand families come through to pick up things that they needed in the moment because all their stuff was gone. It was all donated. We like it was insanity. Um, we got money from every church that we were at all connected to in anywhere. Even the other churches in the city yeah. were like, "We'll be the fund. 
we're handing out money to other churches to give to their yeah. people. It was like insane. The crazier part is that we had over, and, and at the time we're a church of 800 maybe on the weekend. We had over yeah. 2,500 people in five days come through as volunteers. That's and incredible. So building, it was anybody. People would show up and be like, we heard you're the place that's doing stuff. Yeah. And so what do I do? And they did anything, man. They did the most menial, frustrating work. Mm-hmm. And for and so not a single long, complaint. <laughs> everybody was thankful. It was like they walked yeah. in and was like, put me to work. I'll do anything. It's hard work. You got to wear a mask outside because you can't. We both just got that. <laughs> it's actually normal now. It was abnormal. Then. <laughs> um, literally, you can't see. There's smoke in the air. And everybody was like, Thank you so much for doing something. I don't know what I would have done if I was sitting at home. Uh, this idea that crisis is is so important mm-hmm. to bringing communities together, that's confusing because yeah. I don't think we should probably start crises <laughs> or tragedies, yeah. but yeah, they're so, really good for us, so I don't know what to do yeah, about that. I'll keep this quick. We went through the same thing uh, at Hoboken Grace. We, I lived here during Hurricane Sandy. We took on six feet of water. It completely... Yeah took out our town um crazy just had to you know once the flooding subsided just taking everything out and like you know you usually think of flooding you think of it along river obviously we're along a river right but um usually don't think of it in high populated areas and so um you know we really rallied around that and it was huge for our our community and and opened up so many doors in our community that that um it was such a great opportunity and and brought our staff together and, and and everything that goes with that um but yeah, there's a quote from this from the book about a psychological study. I'm going to read this real quick. It says, "When people are actively engaged in a cause, um, their lives have more purpose, with resulting improvement in mental health." Um, and this is from the Journal of Psychomatic Research in 1971. <laughs> it said, "But it would be irresponsible to suggest that violence as a means of improving mental health." But the study suggests that people feel better psychologically if they have more involvement in their community. And make sense of that. <laughs> Right? Which like, then naturally, okay, so then the question that we have to ask ourselves, you know, as the group guys, we, we can't root to have natural disasters or Probably these emergencies or be irresponsible. create war, right? Yeah. So yeah, what, yeah. what can we do to build stronger bonds in our community when there's not an extreme event that's going on? Well, I, I think it's interesting because if Ephesians gives it to us already, right? Like our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And yeah. sometimes we stop and it's like, okay, don't fight each other. Remember the bad people aren't the enemy. We got to love them anyway. Okay. No, no, it keeps going. Your struggle is against the rulers, the authorities and the powers of this dark world. I'm literally hearing a kid's song. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. So. Ephesians gives us this answer because the our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people. Mm. The people aren't our enemies. But yeah. there is a struggle and it's against the rulers, against the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like There's a real enemy and the enemy is destroying people. Mm-hmm. And if we're not rallying against that, I, like we're going to crumble. I, it's, it's interesting. And, and this, is, ooh, this is a big topic, but this is good. This is why it's so clear that if if our church is not tipped always and and uh, and I guess leaned over toward like rooting out hopelessness in our community, finding the lost one, right? There's more yeah. rejoicing in heaven when the lost one comes home than when the 99 stay home. It, if my church isn't and if I'm not personally more geared toward going, no, I got to push myself out. I got to push myself to find the lost one. I got to push myself to reach my hopeless and broken friends. I have to push myself out toward 
evangelism, if we're not leaning in that direction always, like our church will crumble, not because Mm. we didn't pay enough attention to the inside. And yes, we have to pay enough and build up the inside, but it's actually the looking outside. It's actually uniting against the common enemy of hopelessness and against the common enemy of the fact that people that God loves are lost and broken and hurting each other and hurting themselves. If I don't, if I'm not stressed about that, and if I'm not really focused on destroying that enemy of hopelessness, I don't think my church is going to make it. It's not if I don't focus on my church enough. And so I think that's fascinating. Like we have to rally the forces against a common enemy if we're going to make it. And we have one, we have a lot. And that comes back to the countercultural voice, right? Like we need to root out things that are anti-human, like uh, addictions and and the inability to change and people being consumers mm-hmm. only like there's yeah, and this stuff in this book growing and growing amount of loneliness right yeah well, it, there's That's another quote from against. another quote from the book that just says humans don't mind hardships in fact they thrive on it right um what they mind is not feeling necessary modern society has perfected the art of making people feel necessary that and is so I, good. I think like this is where our group's opportunities are helping them yeah. find a purpose, helping them. And I think a lot of it is that like we're so focused on ourselves. And I think one of the things that groups can really help with is helping them turn that that vision around to see others. And usually they're going to see it within their own group. Um, I yeah. think as group directors, we've probably each dealt with several groups that um, had a problem with someone who just came and spilled and then leaves and doesn't actually yeah. understand the concept that like, no, we're in this for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And and um, I think one of the things that helps. I actually got this idea from from just being around Steve Gladen, who's our our founder of Small Group Network. But in his book, Small Groups with Purpose, a must for any small group direct is just that like figuring out what's your group's weakness. So we want to be balanced, obviously, yeah. in those purposes that that they they use. And I think one of them that would be really helpful in this is I knowing what purpose your group is weak in and spending time in that. And obviously, maybe that's evangelism, right, or uh, sharing sharing their faith with others. If you're able to challenge your group in that area, right. it's going to be hard for them, but they have each other. And then that's really going to help bring them together. Um, you know, what's fascinating is uh, I have uh, one of our groups when we were just starting out, they were having a really hard time getting people to stay together. Mm-hmm. And they decided as a group that they would go skydiving together. They had a guy in their group who was a professional skydiver awesome. and uh, uh, he took them all skydiving and like literally that brought their group together. And this was like when we first started church playing too. And like, I wish I could tell you the magnitude of this, but like that group alone has now started probably like several, several, several groups because they decided to come together eventually. So putting yourself, challenging yourself to get outside that comfort zone is so important at, at building community and fighting loneliness. Yeah, very clear that like Jesus's glory came from suffering. Yeah. So the path to glory is always through suffering. And so as leaders, I need to be in touch with my own suffering. I need to be in touch with my yeah. own brokenness and my own weak places because that's where my strength comes from too. Like 2 Corinthians 12, my strength is only found when it's not mine, when it's his, and it's only found in my weakness. And so if I'm reveling in my strengths as a leader, that's interesting when you think about leadership development, we're not just trying to make stronger leaders. Eh, This is a little little weird sounding, but like we're trying to actually make weaker leaders. (laughs) Uh, Probably more humble leaders. That's what I'm going for. But yeah, um, I think that's what you're looking for. That probably takes a little more thought in advance. Uh, I'm thinking as I go here, but uh, it, it makes sense that we're not trying to just give our, our leaders better skills and our people yes. better skills. We're trying to de- create dependence by actually pushing them toward their weak places. And yeah. if we really want to get granular, 
that means I have to be always pushing toward my weak places. If I'm not in mm. touch with the plate, like the bleeding edge of my own suffering and my own incompetence or sin or temptation or whatever those things are, if I'm not in touch with those, why in the world yeah. would I expect my leaders to be? And why would I expect a group to gel? Honestly, and I'm not saying like massive codependence, like, well, if I'm not okay, then nobody else will be okay. That's not what I mean. But it does mean yeah. if I want to lead by example, it means I'm very humble and also leaning into my weakness and suffering. Uh, and that, that I'm talking to myself right now. So <laughs> I think awesome. that's a really important place to start. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to start to wind this down. Listen, I really encourage you guys to pick up this book. It's, it's only 175 pages. There's like several topics that we haven't hit that are just really fascinating stories. There's one in there that we're not going to talk about. That's about this fight between um, French and Moroccans that is excellent at talking about like conflict resolution that is really important as group leaders. And I'm sorry, we're not going to get to it, but um, that's going to be my enticing to get you guys there. Um, So, Hey, let's dive into our little lightning round, Tommy. Um, Same questions we have every, every podcast, but so what's another book you've read recently that's had an impact on your leadership? Yeah, honestly, probably the most uh, challenging and helpful book. And this is just a journey we're going on as a church and as a, as a ministry, we're, we're trying to build out a whole kind of new, arm called the care academy at mission that'll be a Ooh. next cool thing we Does talk care about stand for That's something <laughs> no uh we don't <laughs> but uh it's, it stands for care which is care. <laughs> uh, anyway there's a there's a guy at mission um who uh he's, he's been around for about five years but for 50 years he and his wife have been um working in the re- the recovery world uh it's recovery from everything so they built a curriculum and a program and a process and a whole organization they train counselors they have something called change groups which are uh, is there's i'm excited to talk about this with you at some point because it's crazy <laughs> they're phenomenal he's one of the most brilliant people i've ever met and he's just like sitting in our lap right here at mission so it's like awesome his name is Michael Dye, created this Genesis process. So he has a book called The Church, Helping or Hurting, A Guide to Practical mm. Christianity. One of his main ideas is um, we need to be full of grace, but also competency. The local yeah. church has to be full of grace and a competency, effectiveness. We have to, like, real hope comes when somebody looks at you and says, I accept you as you are, but I also know how you can change. And not just like, I know that Jesus will change you, but like, I know what's wrong in your Brain. He's a neuroscientist and also an addiction counselor, and he built this recovery program. Wow! Um, and it is phenomenal. You could actually—we just did a seven-part workshop on it. We tried <laughs> to distill his seven-part, and it was distilled down. It was like twenty yeah. percent what he wanted to do. Um, it's all at missionmentor.com/slash/change-workshop. It's phenomenal. Oh, thank so you. That's a lot of his stuff. We just made it all yeah. free and really easy accessible because it's. What was so the name again? What was the, the book? It's called "The Church Helping or Hurting." It's really ah. thick. It's really long, but also you could read a page and basically stew on it for a week. He's the king. Nice. What he calls himself, which sounds arrogant, but is actually just really true, is he's the king of one-liners. Like literally every page, he highlights like a one-liner and it's like, yeah, I never would have been able to do that. He's That's amazing. Awesome. And it's a beautiful balance of neurochemistry and Bible. I highly encourage it. Another book cool. that I've been reading, Faith for Exiles, David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. Okay. Uh, David Kinnaman's the uh, president of the Barna Group. Uh, but yeah, for exile, which I personally know you are an enormous fan of. I am, and also uh, yeah. it's it's headquarters. Is it called in, Glow or Glue? Uh, What's the Oh Glue? What's yeah, the, they work together now. Barn yeah. and Glue. Uh, it's big data and big research. <laughs> fun, fun <laughs> stuff. Um, but Barna Group is uh, here in Ventura, which is really fun. So um, oh, cool. 
Spain at the David Kinnaman at a restaurant. Um, anyway, so he uh, wrote a book called Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. Um, it's like if you took the social dilemma and then said, what do we do about it as the church? How do we build resilient okay. disciples? The research is about the nine out of 10 millennials that leave the church, right? Uh, this book is about the one out of 10 that didn't okay. and how they got there and what makes a resilient disciple. It is so, <laughs> so good. And so yeah. dripping in research and information, it's so good. So I love both yeah. of those. Okay. What's one book you're looking forward to? Well, two books I'm looking forward to. I, I said one. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Um, I, uh, one book is called Unhindered. It's Aligning the Story of Your Heart. It's by two PhD counselors that run a phenomenal ministry that I may or may not have benefited from personally um, uh, called The Blessing Ranch in Florida. Uh, it's literally a week of intensive counseling for pastors. And okay. they have up to four individuals or couples at a time only. They have just the two of them. It's uh, Charity and John. And they, uh, you, you're in like four or five hours of counseling a day. And it's a little intense, but they wrote a book with all of their stuff called Unhindered. And it is like, if you, if you are, <laughs> if you're hurting or mm-hmm. like feel misaligned in your own self, um, it, it's interesting how much the Genesis process and their stuff goes together. It's very similar, um, but it is so good. And it will bring so much clarity and yeah. refreshment to your soul. I promise. Uh, at least she brought it for my wife and I, but, uh, also the book I would imagine I haven't read it yet. Cause I just got it in the mail, but uh, yeah. I would imagine it would do the same thing. Man, isn't Tommy great. I love having conversations with him and getting to hear his opinion. And I hope you did as well. I shared at the start of the podcast that we have a pretty major announcement for you. Reading Lens has been a show on the Group Talk podcast since June of 2020. And in that time, I've recorded over 20 episodes. I personally really enjoyed getting to work with the other shows inside Saddleback, Here to There, and The Leadership Journey. Perhaps it's their shows that led you to mine. And I'm so thankful for all that they have done. And now they are letting me leave the house and start my own podcast, which is phenomenal news. With this change, we're also going to be renaming the podcast from Reading Lens to the group Takeaways. The show is going to run nearly identical to Reading Lens, which is where we share with you insights from books we were reading and what our takeaways were. But instead of from books, we're going to be making it a bit more broad so that we can find places to learn from outside of just books. I think you're going to really enjoy what we have in store for you on the group Takeaways. We already have some fun shows scheduled already with guests that you will love. Join us next month on the final episode of Reading Lens, where Peter Englert from the podcast Why God Why will be joining us to cover the book Wooden, which is a book about the best college basketball coach of all time, John Wooden, and his leadership lessons he learned as a coach. This is a fantastic book with an even better guest, so please join us. It's going to be perfect for March Madness. Again, thank you to Tommy for joining us and for you listening. Remember, leaders are readers. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.